What's up, Mindset fam, and welcome to another episode of the Mindset Podcast. Today, we get to talk with Saif Ishouf. If you haven't heard of Saif, he is one of the most interesting people I have ever met, and he has been a tech entrepreneur before tech was even a thing. He's been paving the way for innovators and entrepreneurs and is truly making a difference. Saif has played a huge part in the crypto and tech boom here in South Florida, but isn't done yet. If you ask him, success isn't about the money or the fame, but about the people. You will not want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Podcast. Today, we are joined by Saif Ishouf. We've been after him for a while, and it's finally a pleasure to have him on. Uh, Saif, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Anthony, Gabriel. Very excited to be on here with you guys. I'm a big fan of the Mindset Podcast, and I'm ready to, to chop it up with you gentlemen. Yeah, thank you so much. And in, in true mindset fashion, we first have to get through our lightning round of warm-up questions. Uh, so the first one we have here, and this one's really interesting. Gabe and I were talking about it off-air. Um, if you had a time machine, would you go back in time or in the future? Um, that's a great question. Um, I believe we're still building the future. So I would go back in time. And I would specifically want to jump to the golden age of Spain. Uh, which is in the mid eighth uh, century, because there was more unity at that time between the world's major religion religions between Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and you had more scientists, scholars, mathematicians that were collaborating, building universities and libraries. So I would want to be right back uh, in España uh, in the eighth century, uh, chopping it up with some of the scientists, scholars, astronomers, and others. That's where I'd want to be at. That's a really interesting time uh, to, to be in, right? I feel like Anthony and I, we, I mean, even you, I'm sure we read about those types of people in, in our history classes and stuff, but to actually watch it and to be in it in the flesh, I can't even imagine what that experience might be like. Um, I'm same as you. I feel like if we were to travel into the future, um, I feel like we're in the future already, right? You know, with all these things happening, um, who knows what, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years might look like. But if I had to, I'd ask that, my, that question a million times to myself and I'm a huge basketball fan. Um, wasn't, uh, wasn't old enough to watch the Allen Iverson, uh, Michael Jordan era. I would love to go back in time and watch those guys, even back in the nineties with, uh, Magic Johnson, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go off script for a second and share a funny story that Please I actually do. went to college with Alan Iverson. And um, yeah, and uh, I, I, Alan it was just a year <laughs> behind me. And uh, wow. so, yeah, he I went to undergrad at Georgetown and my sophomore year was Iverson's freshman year at Georgetown. Wow. So I got to watch AI play in the flesh for one of the most legendary basketball coaches of all times, Coach John Thompson senior uh rest in peace uh and i had a chance to chop it up with alan a couple of times uh just a really extraordinary athlete um phenomenal journey so yeah that ai that era of 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 basketball uh were some of the greatest players not to be confused with the energy and excitement of today's players as well you can't get you you can't not be excited by what what's happening in uh whether it's Giannis or LeBron or all the other, or, you know, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, our, yep. you know, our squad at the Heat. So let's go. Uh, I agree with you. That was a great time in basketball. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be in that arena watching him play as a freshman. I mean, that whole Iverson fever was nuts. And he really set 
not only the culture for basketball, but he really, you know, revolutionized the way we see hip hop and culture and, you know, that society and that generation. But that is really, really cool. Alan um, was a boundary our, pusher. He, he still is. Yep. And someone that really uh, went beyond the defined role of the archetype, which I think that's part of what mindset's all about. Uh, the idea that I know we're going to talk more about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't, I can't wait to get more into that. But before then, before we get into the media things, we have one more question of our lightning round. And this one is also pretty exciting. Don't know what it's going to be. But the next question is, if you could change places with anyone in the world, who would it be and why? It's a great one. If I could change places with anyone in the world, uh, who would it be and why? Um, That's a tough one, isn't it? That's a really great one. I love, <laughs> I love these questions that uh, are uh, are stumpers. Um, I would want to change places with maybe uh, an entrepreneur or a social impact leader in maybe West Africa, maybe mm. someplace uh, in Nigeria or Ghana, because mm. if you understand global demographics, you understand that the second half of the 21st century uh, one of the most consequential geographies in the world is going to be Nigeria. Nigeria is going to be the next country to hit a billion people. And mm. um, so very much like what we've seen in Asia with the rise of China and India uh, over the last 20 and 30 years, I think we're going to see a lot of those trend lines evolve in West Africa all throughout the continent. So I'd want to change places with somebody that's a social impact leader that's uh, maybe revolutionizing healthcare or rethinking uh, what the uh, financial inclusion looks like in a population like mm. that. Because if I could just get a glimpse of insight from what those folks are building, um, I think it's going to, you can't crystal ball into the future, but whatever a leader uh, is building in a space like that, I think I, I would take away a lot of learning. So that's where I'd want to jump to. I know that's kind of an mm. oddball answer, but I really mean that. Yeah. And have you ever been to any part of Africa before? I've had a chance to visit North Africa. Um, mm. And it's a big desire of mine. I'm a huge history buff. So mm. uh, it's a big desire of mine uh, to visit East Africa, uh, as well as, of course, West Africa. Um, and of course, going further, further into the uh, further into the continent. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I've, I've been to North Africa, I've been to Egypt, I've been to Morocco. Um, but uh, I, it's it's definitely and I have a dream if my uh, aging body allows me to to uh, to do a, a hike at Mount Kilimanjaro at some point. So maybe I'll okay. do that before I hit the big five zero. But uh, but yeah, I've not, I've not been uh, beyond those uh, hmm. couple of countries. Interesting, because I know and I just heard about this the other day, too, that Africa and, and certain areas of Africa, there's a lot of entrepreneurial uh, growth happening at a, at a rapid pace like you you uh, alluded to just a second ago. So that'd be very interesting. We've never gotten an answer like that before. And we've asked this a few times, but definitely the most uh, interesting one. I, I'd give you that. Um, uh, so awesome. We got to know you a little bit more now. We can jump into getting to know you uh, and, and what you do. A lot of people know you. Some people don't. Uh, Gabe and I know you, of course, as a as an iconic piece of the Miami movement that we're in right now. But uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? 
Thank you so much, Anthony and Gabriel. Um, I'll, I'll give a, a version of uh, the journey uh, for the podcast. And uh, I'll start with that. I, I proudly say that I was born in the Caribbean, made in the 305. Uh, so I'm a proud Let's immigrant. Uh, I'm from I'm from Guyana. Um, I landed in Miami uh, when I was about two years old with my family, um, with my parents and siblings. And so I've got uh, a deep love and passion for all things Miami. Uh, I, I joke with my kids that if you cut me, I'll bleed Guarapo. Uh, and so I, uh, and, and of course, all parts of the Miami landscape of culture. Um, so most of my really seminal experiences as a young person uh, were defined here in Miami. There's a great book by a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Griffin, who wrote a book called The Year of Dangerous Days, uh, that really talks about 1980 as a portal through which you can understand the making of the modern Miami. I grew up, that's kind of the backdrop to my life um, as a young person having arrived here in Miami in the late 70s. Um, I had an opportunity to go away uh, to undergrad in DC. Uh, I, uh, I kind of view myself as a citizen diplomat. And so I studied uh, at Georgetown School of Foreign Service. I came back uh, after college, worked uh, worked for a little while, and then I went to law school at the University of Miami. Um, I was always passionate about technology, and so when I graduated, along with a childhood friend, uh, built a vendor management software company, had the opportunity to see what the life cycle journey is like in, in startups. And just for context, that was 22 years ago. So a lot of people talk about the Miami tech ecosystem, maybe through the lens of the last decade. I, I had the good fortune of being able to see it. What did it feel like to build a tech company here 22 years ago? And even at that time, there were founders uh, and my parents had friends that were early engineers at IBM's campus in Boca or signals engineers that worked at Motorola. There was already an ecosystem here. It looked and felt very differently than what we know today or what's evolved in the last decade. Um, I continued my journey in a couple of different stops, had an opportunity to lead a major social impact organization called City Year. I was the founding executive director, um, and then I was recruited to serve as a VP of engagement at FIU, where I had an opportunity uh, to build high-octane public-private partnerships with large businesses, public sector entities. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, uh, I was uh, uh, on the heels of the momentum of my great friend, Mayor Francis Suarez, after the mayor had the tweet that went around the world, we had a conversation and the mayor invited me to serve as his senior advisor for innovation and technology. So I went on loan from the university to the city of Miami to help support Mayor Suarez in standing up the portfolio team that's now known as Venture Miami. Um, but across the, the journey that I've been on, I think that there's a common elements. One has been my passion for how innovative technologies can transform our world. Um, also my belief that the public landscape, social fabric, human connections really matter. And then finally, what is the supersized role that rising talent can play in closing that divide? So I've been able to do a lot of different things over the last 22 years. Uh, and uh, I kind of have been able to culminate all of that into my latest stage back in the private sector with launching, everybody knows the rocket ship emoji in, in town uh, and our company Lab22C where uh, I have the good uh, good fortune of advising a small port. I take a vendor uh, venture capitalist approach, uh, a portfolio management approach to a small subset of venture backed companies, as well as a couple of traditional businesses, and helping them with people, talent, and culture. 
and helping them get situated to what's going on in Miami Tech. So that's my journey uh, over the last, basically from when I landed in this country to where I am now. Uh, and along the way, my wife Amira and I have two beautiful children who are teenagers, uh, Rania, who's 15, and Nabil, who's 14, who themselves are deeply ensconced in what's going on in the Miami Tech ecosystem. But that's my greatest joy and greatest uh, point of pride is uh, seeing my own children as well as other young people reach their full human potential. That's that's amazing, Saif. And as you were speaking, I could just tell, you know, growing up in Miami and through all the successes that you might have had and all the leadership positions that you've been in, one common goal, uh, denominator that I find in all those positions that you might have held is that you still remained grounded in, in what you, who you were and what you believed, even now talking about how you, how much your children mean to you, you know, that father figure aspect that you really want to embody. Um, that's something that for some people, they, they reach a high top, a mountain of success and it, it might overtake them, right? And I want to ask you, uh, this isn't even on the questions that we sent you, but what is, you know, what is something that you can maybe tell someone in their early 20s, maybe late 20s, that you could already tell that they, they, they're going to reach that high top of success? What can you tell them to, to make sure that they can stay grounded in what they believe and who they are and stay humble to serve others? I would say, and it's easy, right? Uh, my, uh, my wife and I oftentimes describe it as the sentiment of losing yourself, right? And um, I think that what I would say to a rising talent is remember the people who sacrificed to make your journey possible. Like, think about them. Think about that, that grandmother or that older aunt or uncle or neighbor or teacher, somebody who did something extraordinary to make it possible to be where you are today and try to focus less on what you can accomplish and more about how your work and your impact can honor them. Because we all are a function of people who are long since gone, who did extraordinary things to make our path possible. And the minute you feel like you're flying too close to the sun, it's important to reflect and remember those individuals, those loved ones. It might have been a soccer coach and a team that we played in who saw something that we didn't see in ourselves. And so once we start to feel like we might be getting a little bit too full of ourselves, like dial back into that. I think that that can help us recenter ourselves. And so I think about that often. Um, it also helps, I'll say, as you get further in the journey, uh, teenage kids can absolutely make sure that your humility is in check, right? <laughs> so I have that. Not only do I have, do I reflect on my ancestors and family members who've done a lot to make my journey possible, but a 15 and 14 year old, they'll check you really quickly and make sure that you are, uh, you are on, <laughs> as, the, as the phrase in Latin goes, on terra firma, you are on firm ground. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And and I, I think that's so true to what you're saying, just to stay grounded. And, and I, again, you know, and even in the position that I'm in, um, you know, sometimes as, as a young professional in this industry, in this Miami movement, right, that we're talking about, a lot of people can feel this pressure to be successful, even whether you're in Miami, whether you're in New York, California, wherever you are, um, we're living in this technolo technological uh, society that we have all these resources at our fingertips that it's almost hard you know not to do something with so i really think that's that's you know really some wise words for some people you know rising in this industry but i want to ask you i want to go back to you know maybe 12 18 months ago when 
that text, that tweet around the world happened, right? When you were, you know, by uh, Mayor Suarez's side, what, what, what happened in to him and what happened to you, you know, in that moment and what really, you know, revolutionized this Miami movement? Like you mentioned, this has been around for over 20 years. You've seen this environment when you launched your first startup. Why now is it such a great time for people to really realize what is going on in Miami and, and capitalize on it? That's such a great question. Um, and I think that they, it, it's sort of a five paragraph essay response. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'll try to uh, uh, give the verbal equivalent of uh, an Instagram infographic. But I think that there's a, there's a range of variables, right? So the first variable is that um, the pandemic ushered in what I'd like to call the decentralization of American innovation in the same way that cryptocurrency represents the decentralization of finance, the pandemic prompted so many people who were in these traditional incumbent hubs that are so celebrated like Silicon Valley and the, uh, in the Boston area, New York, to realize that they could actually operate, live, work and play somewhere differently. And then once they started to stick their head out from the early fog of the pandemic, you know, right around summer to fall of 2020, they looked around and they realized that my, places like Miami have extraordinary things going on. We have great academic institutions like Miami-Dade College, like FIU, like University of Miami. We have great talent coming out of our school system. And so, uh, you know, at the moment of the tweet that went around the world, Mayor Suarez responded with this very Miami sense of a spirit of service. We all see it in Miami. Sometimes it's easy, you know, we go on only on date and I love only on date, but uh, we, we see sometimes like the most uh, ratchet of examples of what's going on in Miami, but we don't see, and I know that's, you know, a little bit of ratcheteria is within the mix. <laughs> probably it's what more views and likes on only on date. Yeah. The reality is we all have that neighbor who uh, when we need their help, right? They're there to help us, you know, maybe fix up a bookshelf. Or we all have an older uh, uh, family member that we see people going and picking up their prescription meds for them, right? Mm. So the Miami Tech movement, and as articulated and led by Mayor Suarez, it started with the spirit of service. How can I help? And so right. the pandemic decentralized American innovation. Mayor Suarez saw that Miami was so richly poised to be a space within which these founders and funders could build. And so out of that, you had pent up demand from all around America for a city that really, I mean, I like to, we like to say that in Miami, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's not the kids' mm. table at Thanksgiving. It's our core competitive advantage. Founders mm. of color, female investors, LGBTQIA plus folks. This is just who we are, right? We don't need somebody yeah. to define us like, oh, there's Saif, my brown Guyanese friend. It's like, I'm just mm. Saif. I'm just their neighbor. I'm their buddy. I'm their colleague. Same thing right. with everyone else. So I think the confluence of those events made it so that other people finally were able to see what we know has been happening in Miami. And if you've been a startup founder and a builder in Miami, we were told for many decades that if you were serious about building a tech company, you had to move to the Bay Area. You had to move to yeah. New York. And then yeah. as a function of the pandemic, those folks landed here and they saw uh, what when Mayor Suarez defined it, he said, and look, in Miami, we're trying to be the capital of capital. 
And that mm. means not just financial capital, but human capital, social mm. capital, cultural capital. I love that. And if you go to some of these other spaces, that's not what was happening in those cities. So I think all of those events in concert at high speed contributed. And then a leader with lots of intentionality, founders that were willing to lean in, I think is what gave us that moment of launch. And we are still on that rocket ship. Uh, and it had been, you know, many years in the planning before we actually put uh, a human on the moon. And I think the mm. same thing could be said for the Miami Tech launch. We had the tweet that went around the world, which had a lot of people like Manny Medina and others mm. that had been building high scale growth companies in this region. And so the tweet really mm. helped to spark that momentum, as well as the inbound of the capital and talent that uh, aggregated in, in concert with the people who are here. You know, I think you're absolutely right. I think our superpower is our community, is the, the people of Miami. That's our superpower. And no, nowhere else in the world can they replicate that because we, we're just so unique. Uh, so and, and of course, the vision that you and the mayor had and, and you guys are leading the way, definitely. And I, and I want to ask you, you mentioned uh, Miami Data College. I know you were uh, very involved with FIU. You're involved in the community, the college uh, scene here. How can Miami retain the homegrown talent? How can uh, people like Gabe and I that were born and raised in, here in Miami, he goes to FIU, I went to Miami Dade College. How can people like us, students, um, professionals, young professionals, stay in Miami? What, what, can, what can we do? What can the community do to retain that talent? So I want to appreciate the fact that our local academic institutions are leaning in in a big way to make sure that they're bridging connections between campus and career. I want to give a shout out to my friend and somebody that I admire deeply, President Madeline Pumariega of Miami-Dade College, because uh, President Pumariega is a visionary uh, in realizing that you have to blur the lines between campus and career. That's also happening at FIU. It's also happening at University of Miami and Florida Memorial University and with their school system. But I think that uh, there's the work that's happening with the academic institutions and in bridging that. But I think you're also getting extraordinary companies that are also saying, we want in on this too, right? We're, we're right now, I like to say in the 21st century and this moment we're in, and this might be one of those uh, tweetable tweets that come out of our conversation, but we're essentially at a moment where there's an ocean of capital and liquidity and there's a desert of talent. And so capital is in pursuit of an alpha, a return in trying to identify that talent. And so it means that businesses now more than ever are willing to invest in rising talent. I advise a great company called Open Store, uh, which is an e-commerce company uh, that's building just a world-class uh, platform. And they're based right here in Miami, in Wynwood. They're backed by Founders Fund. They're backed by Atomic. And we're actually doing on April 13th an open night, like a, 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 an open store, open house night for rising talent, not just engineers, but for folks. And it's going to be at their offices, which is a cool spot at the Gateway in Wynwood um, on April 13th. So what you're seeing is businesses that earnestly want to bridge those connections. They want talent from this region. They want to create those relationships. Our academic institutions are playing their part. I think that these businesses are saying, we want Gabriel, we want Anthony, you know, we want extraordinary founders here, uh, like my uh, like my friend uh, Kanasha Paul and the work that she's doing with FIU's uh, Venture Miami 
uh, initiative that's focused on female founders of color or my friend Janine Sua or, you know, countless others that are really honed in on this. So businesses are raising their hand and they're saying, we want to invest in this frontier talent. And it's not just a marketing thing. It's really about their core competitive advantage. And I think that that's what is so remarkably different about this moment. And Mayor Suarez uh, has, has really led that. In fact, on April 14th, Venture Miami is doing a hiring fair. It's the second time we're doing a hiring fair. It's at MDC's Wolfson campus, thousands yeah. of open jobs. Some of the mm. best companies will be represented there. And it's all about one thing, making sure that there is no gap between campus and career. Mm. That didn't happen in other regions. I mean, we're doing that again, Anthony, to your point, there's a cultural yeah. piece. And, mm. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox in a moment only to say in Web3, oftentimes you see the hashtag WAGMI, W-A-G-M-I, you know, and WAGMI stands for we're all going to make it. Well, I believe that the W, we have to put the W into WAGMI. How do we ensure that the, that the we is actually part of this moment? And I'm encouraged and optimistic because you're seeing leaders and in institutions and in businesses that are recognizing that this is only successful if we're putting the W into the WAGMI of our Miami. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And like Anthony mentioned, us both being uh, Miami-Dade College alum, I currently go to FIU. We're seeing this firsthand, seeing this innovation happening before our eyes. And I think for all our, our you know, our classmates, our colleagues that we work with, that we are friends with, I think um, we would be doing ourselves a disservice not to realize the innovation going on, you know, right in front of our eyes and, and take advantage of the resources that you've mentioned, these different events that are hope, like happening in our community because people that are born and raised here, you know, we have, you know, the upper hand in a way because, you know, we are Miami, right? This is our culture and we want to continue and, and strive for that. Um, but Saif, I want to take a, a, a little switch here now with, uh, with crypto, right? I couldn't have you on and not talk about crypto. And I really want to ask you, obviously, with everything you have going on with your company, Lab22C, um, before we even dive deep into that, why don't you tell someone, I understand crypto, pretty much the basics of it, crypto, NFTs, Ethereum, Bitcoin, all that good stuff. But for someone hearing about crypto for the first time, what is the simplest way of, of someone understanding that and comprehending that? So I'm actually going to take a departure from answering that question, because I think that the answer is there's a lot of great content that's out there that, it could, that can explain blockchain technologies and the idea of a distributed ledger. I want to take a quick second to do something, uh, which is to share how and why I got into crypto and just to share that it happened because of the young people in my life. And by young people, I specifically mean my daughter, Rania, and my son, Nabil. Seven years ago, when very few people in this community were thinking and talking about crypto, my kids participated in a computer science boot camp in kind of a sketchy warehouse uh, run by two friends of mine that are hackers. And they, uh, they did this workshop. I like to say that if my wife had seen the warehouse, she might've pulled up and then just driven off and said, we're not doing <laughs> this, this computer science bootcamp. Although I do trust those two great oh hackers. And Rania and Nabil, over the course of the few days, they participated in something that's called the digital capture the flag exercise. Uh, hmm. uh, which is something that's done in cybersecurity. And they won the, they won the competition and uh, they won 
uh, a sizable amount of Dogecoin in 2015. Mm. And so I'm not allowed to say more because my son uh, will say that it violates all of his cybersecurity protocols. You know, he yeah. they'll jokingly will call themselves Dogenaires. But the kid, <laughs> I was able to, I know, I was able to watch my kids who at that time were seven and eight become infinitely curious about blockchain technologies and what was possible. And mm. over the course of the intervening years, they got a lot more curious about crypto and blockchain. And of course, as a function of the pandemic, during the lockdown, we're spending time getting way more curious. But I like to say for anybody who's my age and older, uh, follow and listen to the curiosity of the young people around you, because mm. the journey to crypto from, from myself and for my wife started because of the curiosity of a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old. Hmm. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. And I know uh, Nabil, I especially follow him and I've been seeing all the great work he's doing on social media and getting invited to speak. So he's a superstar in and of itself. So that's great. And I congratulate you for, for your children being so so involved in this in this movement. And as we wrap up here, I have to ask you, I have to ask you, what is your proudest Miami moment? I'm sure you have a lot of Miami moments and conversations that you've been a part of behind closed doors in the public and, and whatnot. What, is, what would you pinpoint as your proudest moment as being a Miamian? Um, I have a lot of uh, moments of deep pride as a Miamian. I'll tell you the moment that was really like the moment of launch for me was probably when I was about four or five years old, when mm. um, at that time, my, my family were relatively new immigrants to this country. And I had an opportunity. Uh, I was just at Friday prayers. As you know, my family, I'm Muslim. And I was mm. at a Friday prayer. Uh, Friday is like the Sunday for Muslim folks or Saturday for Jewish folks. So I was at a Friday prayer. And um after the prayers were over, all the little kids ran out of the mosque and went outside and everybody swarmed around this individual. And I walked up and I, you know, looked at, I didn't know who this person was. And uh, this individual was, was playing with the kids, smiling, laughing. I could see my dad was really excited. And what I then came to learn is that that was actually Muhammad Ali. And Ali uh, has a deep connection in history to Miami and Ali used to do this thing. Apparently he's done it to millions of kids all over the world where he'd pick you up and he would put you on his shoulder and he would tell you that you are a champ and that you are the greatest. And for me, I like to think that that's a moment of my greatest pride because I, I saw someone who was part of my faith community. And I, as I'd come to learn, wound up becoming one of the most consequential leaders in our country in so many spaces, not only in athletics, uh, but also in somebody who is a bridge builder of humanity, somebody who has been a, a role model uh, uh, for black men uh, in so many ways, even though my family is ethnically Indian, being able to look at that. For me, that was my moment of greatest pride and uh, as a Miamian, because it, it allowed me to see within myself, being able to meet a leader like that allowed me to see within myself what was ultimately possible in my journey. And so I've got a, uh, an Ali quote uh, that really uh, is in many regards, the um, it's the soundtrack, it's the driving impetus to my life. And it's actually a quote that my wife helped to socialize to me. And uh, that it's part of my Miami moment. And it's an Ali quote where he said, um, 
I, I hated every moment of training, but I told myself, don't uh, suffer now, don't quit and live the rest of your life as a champion. And so for me, that was my proudest Miami moment because uh, I believe it showed me that the inspiration that Muhammad Ali left in me and in millions of people should be a guiding light in the types of lives that we choose to live. And ultimately, can we be, uh, none of us can be the champ, but can we be a beacon for those around us in the same way that Ali instilled in me a sense of hope and belief about what was possible for an immigrant kid like me to be able to accomplish in this beautiful city that we called the 305. That's my proudest moment in Miami. That's so amazing. I, I can't even begin to you know fathom what it might feel like to be in that moment. And, you know, it, it really is refreshing to see people like Muhammad and, and other, you know, even athletes in the space that are stepping off the court, stepping off the field, stepping out of the ring and really making a difference in their community and setting the tone and paving the way um, for young leaders and, and young innovators in their community and in the world, really, because there's such, you know, societal icons that we can look up to today. But with that being said, you know, through all your leadership positions, everything that you've gone through, the Miami movement, you still have so much ahead. We cannot wait to see what else you get to do. Um, but you mentioned that your kids were, were such a pivotal moment into you getting into crypto. What message would you give to next generation leaders uh, to, to continue to pave the way and to as you just hand over the torch, right? What, what can you tell them? And what can you, I guess, guide them into this, uh, this community that we're growing and building? My biggest advice for the rising talent is build community, invest in each other. If you have a friend and she's passionate about NFTs or they are more knowledgeable about uh, Decentraland or some other technology, create a WhatsApp group, create a Telegram group, use it as a learning space create what I like to call collision spaces. If you have a friend that's an artist, show up for them. Uh, so much of my journey, and my friends know me about this, like I've been able to learn so much over the years because I've been out there in the public square. And I know for our younger talent, it might be hard and costly, especially with the price of gas to drive all the way to Wynwood. But Tune in when somebody's doing a Facebook Live on something or some other, a LinkedIn Live or digital space, you know, show up for other people and create learning spaces because I'm part of a couple of extraordinary communities, both in crypto and tech that are all virtual, right? They're not all secret handshake clubs or you have to be some sort of Bitcoin whale to be a part of it. And so for anybody that's a, a rising talent, if you have to start with you and your buddy and your neighbor and their cousin and you're creating a community and it's just uh, 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 just a few people to start with, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It's not about quantity. It's about quality and it's about intentionality. And um, and also show up for people. Right. Honor your bond when somebody invites you to something and you say you're going to be there. Or if they ask for you to, hey, I'm doing a workshop, do you mind sharing it? Like really be present for other people that are building, right? That's part of, we like to say in Miami, what's happening, this is a nosotros moment. This is not a us or they or you or them. This isn't all of us. And the nosotros moment means that we have to really be present to see other people be successful. And, I, you know, for me, as I believe that I'm, uh, you know, the joy is you get to spend more time in this life as a coach than as a competitor. And so 
uh, Mr. Miyagi has a longer shelf life than Dan Daniel's son has. And so I enjoy and I relish that because I get to move yeah. into the coach's box and I get mm. to see extraordinary talent uh, like your, like like the two of you, uh, like my my own children, my chief mm -hmm. of staff Tanya, uh, to see folks like my brother Jefferson Noel. Uh, I get to see these individuals now. I want to mm -hmm. see every single one of these leaders write the next chapter of what's going to happen in our city. And I think people who are, have occupied certain spaces and roles, like myself, we have an opportunity to step back and to listen, to learn, and to evolve. And so that's my recommendation, uh, not only for the rising talent, but for people who, if you've been in a positional authority role, maybe it's time for you to step back and play a role uh, in in a support uh, in a support way to see those around you uh, to let them have the opportunity to lead from the front and and learn from them. Saif, thank you for sharing your story with us today. Uh, you inspire people like Gabe and I to share our story. And I know that's part of your message for us to all share our stories uh, because we come from a unique place, every single one of us. And you and you inspire us and entrepreneurs alike. So thank you again for, for giving us all this wisdom, all these golden nuggets. I'm sure our listeners really appreciate that. And uh, where, where can our, our listeners find you, reach out to you if they have any questions? Uh, I know you're so, very active uh, on LinkedIn. I, uh, you know, definitely on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Check me out on uh, on Twitter at Cyph305, but also follow uh, what my team is building at Lab22C. Um, what's happening, uh, and and you know, I'm I'm just one part of the lab. I mean, the Lab22C is a much bigger team than myself, and so you've got brilliant minds, creators, innovators, uh, even people who are doing stuff on with culture. I'm I'm not allowed to fully say it, but next week we're even doing something with Diplo. Um, uh, I'll probably wow. get in trouble, but I think maybe this podcast <laughs> will come out after that event. But you know, I say that <laughs> I say that um, to say check out what we're doing at Lab Twenty Two C. I think that you'll see that we have uh, have taken a very different approach to what we're seeking to build um, and who we want to be. I also want to say, as a value statement, I'm the only male member of the team at Lab Twenty Two C. It is uh, mm. uh, almost wow. completely a team of women of color. And so I want, uh, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm building, uh, I'm part of a team that's building a 21st century organization that doesn't mm. have to look like an archetypal form of leadership, but really one that's about a team, yeah. a team led effort. You know, we all have roles, so accountability is connected to it. But check us out at Lab 22C because we're, I mean, they're doing all kinds of cool stuff that's happening on all social channels. And um, I'm, I'm grateful to be one part of a team that's seeking to solve big problems for the second half of the 21st century. That's what the 22C stands for. At least that's one of the reasons we, we keep everybody uh. guessing what the full, uh, what, what, what is the full meaning of lab yeah. 22c you know could it be cafecito could it be crypto uh <laughs> could it be collaboration uh but it's community it could be all three it's, it awesome. could be all of that it's community so thank awesome. you i'm such a big fan of what you uh gabriel and anthony are building um and we're about you know we're on the heels of miami tech month so uh as we say in tech you know uh let's go rocket ship let's do let's it let's do it Awesome. Saif, thank you again so much for just taking the time again to be part of our our mindset family. And we always like to say that this isn't just an interview, just an, it's not just a podcast, but now we're family, we're community. Um, we would love to connect with you off the air and just see what other great things Do you're it. doing. And 
you know, we'd love to to come by and see what Lab 22C has to offer and share with our community too. But again, thank you so much. We deeply appreciate it. And I'm sure our audience is going to take some some value out of this. So I'm going to take a picture with you guys before we go. Let's do it. Awesome. Yeah, you can't. It doesn't happen if there wasn't a Syfy. So there we go. We got it. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Syfy. Thanks, guys. What's going on, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Mindset Podcast with Syfy. This was such a fun episode to record. We really enjoyed it and hope you got a lot of value from it. Make sure to follow him on all his social media. He's on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Make sure to follow his journey as this is only the beginning for him. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.